0: Listening to the best of the Martha Zoller show. To hear the full show each day, tune in to AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN or log in to access wdun.com and click the listen live button from 9 to 11 Monday through Friday. Michael Levine is joining me right now. He's a public relations expert and a writer. He has written a number of books, uh, including Guerrilla PR, which is still the best-selling public relations book in the world. So, Michael Levine, how are you?
1: I'm really well, Martha, and thank you so much for sharing your valuable audience with me.
0: So, um, you know, we've, we've heard about this term woke for a long time, but we saw yep. in action recently how far too far is right so you had what happened with target what happened with bud light what happened at the dodgers stadium last week uh you can if you get woke you're going to go broke what do you mean by that
1: well it's a saying that's catching on for very good reason there's a lot of data to support it um if you if a company tells somewhere around seventy five million Americans that we hate you, we hate what you stand for, uh, that is generally speaking not good to business. History has not <laughs> been kind to businesses who insult their customers, and um, Americans have also gotten very clear about this concept of virtue signaling that companies, of course, don't mean any of this sincerely. All they care about is being part of a a craze and appearing cool and hip and with it. And, uh, you know, Martha, I was thinking about this the other day. There's something concerning about a country, a society, in which we celebrate pride for a month but Veterans Day for a day. There is something concerning about a society that takes an entire month. Uh, Being gay is uh, in in no way anything to be ashamed of, but it is an attribute, not an accomplishment. (laughs) And to celebrate, for a nation to celebrate something for a month, uh... And, and Veterans Day, to be given a day, if that, it says something about a society, I believe. And that is not in any way an anti-gay uh, feeling. It's a simply a, a statement of fact. Um, initially, I think Americans felt, when the woke ideology first started to take hold, that it was silly, regarded as silly. Calling men women, calling women men, putting tampons in a men's room, all of this was regarded as silly until it got to a place where people started to recognize, wait a second, this isn't merely silly. This is dangerous. And it's dangerous for a society, it's dangerous for its children, and and it's very very bad for business the business of business should be business and it shouldn't be political lecturing
0: you know you, you made the point about the one day for veterans day and that's something i heard actually rob schneider's got a new uh special out uh that i was watching okay. and he says look i'm a liberal." <laughs> I'm a liberal that lives in California, okay? But there's a problem for me, and he used other examples besides Veterans Day. He said Memorial Day, President's Day, Martin Luther King's birthday, okay? You know, it's one day, and we've got this whole month, and it's an important point. And I just think that they crossed a line, and it kind of started... A couple of years ago when Terry McAuliffe made that statement about how parents shouldn't know what their kids are being taught at school. And then he ended up losing an election basically because of that statement. And now you've got in California a bill that's going through the California House that's going to say you could have your child taken away from you if you don't agree with what a thirteen year old says about what their gender is, or a four year old, or a seven year old.
1: I, I think you're I think you're profoundly right. And let me tell your listeners, the reason that Governor McAuliffe didn't want people to know what their kids were being taught at school was I think fairly obvious. What was being taught at school would be deeply, deeply concerning to the majority of parents and it is far, far, far more extreme than you're led to believe if you're not a parent. If you are just a regular citizen and you're going about your day, you don't think that the kinds of things that are being taught in school are nearly as radical as they are. And I mean to 12 year olds. To eight-year-olds, and um, it's, it's very, very concerning, and it's not a good business strategy. Go woke, get broke ha- is a very catchy uh, slogan, but the question is not whether it's catchy. The question is whether it's true, and if you don't believe me, why don't you ask Bud Light?
0: Yeah, it has been going on for a month, more than a month now, couple of months yeah. that they've been and down. And there are
1: hundreds of com- companies within our country who feel that flirting with virtue signaling and sending messages out to customers when people go to Starbucks. They don't go for a political lecture. They go for a cup of coffee, presumably one they would like to get hot and quick and not at $6. This idea that you're going to Starbucks because you want a political lecture is about as stupid a note. I mean, you you literally have to be out of your mind to believe these type of things but a lot of Americans think that the people who are promoting them are out of their minds and i think there's a lot of truth to it it's bad for business i'll tell you that
0: it's bad for business and i do i know you're i'm kind of half full and you're kind of half empty about the world and i i do think we we're going to get to a point because i think your this parent thing is important because it's a hard line it's a hard yeah. line in that to say, first of all, parents are sick of being painted as being bad. You know, yeah, right. there are some bad parents out there, but they are bad teachers right. and they are bad PR right. professionals and there are bad right. people everywhere. But the idea right. that you are going to keep things about your children from the parents and that's a matter of procedure, that's a hard line for most people.
1: I think you're right, and I think uh, there is there is increasingly a backlash to this, and I think the uh, a hard rain is going to fall. I, I I I think, and and if we look at Bud Light and we look at many other companies, the Dodgers recently, um, and and uh, Target, I, I think. Th- You have to be almost blind not to see what your eyes see.
0: That's right, absolutely. Michael Levine, if people want to know more about what you're doing, how can they do that?
1: Well, I have a new book out, or a business book out, and it's called Broken Windows, Broken Business. And they can go to Amazon, of course, and get that book. I think it's about how little details matter a lot in business. I think it's something that they may find of interest. But I commend you, Martha. I think you are a voice, loud and clear, for common sense. This is not to suggest that uh, companies have to be censored in any way. But it is to suggest that if you insult Half of your customers are more uh, because you have a particular uh, fetish or fantasy with how the world might uh, be in your uh, mind. It's not good for business. People would like zero politics when they walk into their baseball game, their business, their football game, their NBA game, their Academy Awards speeches. They don't want to lecture.
0: Absolutely. Amen to that. Michael Levine, thanks okay. for being with me today.
1: Thanks a million. Bye. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. We're here with
0: Justin Gibney of the AND Campaign, and I want to talk a little bit about some of these issues because you are, are primarily focused on ur- the urban Christian group. Is that correct? Is that fair?
2: Yeah, we come with the traditional black church, but we do try to create bridges between other parts of the church as well.
0: And what are the issues you're focusing on? We talked earlier about the Whole Life Campaign, which I love. I mean, I I just think that it's a discussion that we can have across uh, areas. I, look, I'm pro-life. I believe life begins at conception, and I would be happy if there was never another abortion. Okay, but I also live in a world where I know that there are are people that think you should be able to have an abortion. So I think that that Dobbs, which we're coming up on the anniversary of that, was kind of a, a compromise. It was a first trimester. Most people, that's kind of where the rest of the Western world is. First trimester. So. I think it's a place where we could have discussion. So is that one of the issues you talk about, whole life campaign, but also what are some other ones?
2: Yeah, whole life and sanctity of life is very important to us. We also have a, a lot of conversations and do some advocacy around voter rights, uh, talk about a lot about civic pluralism. And I think you kind of got at that a little bit. Understanding that we live in a society where people have different beliefs and having respect for people's beliefs, even if we disagree and even if we have to advocate against those beliefs. But something else that's come up that's been very big for us is religious liberty and parental rights. Parental rights, I think, is an issue. is one of the biggest issues that we're facing right now. And the ANN campaign wants to speak into it because I think a lot of people on both sides of the aisle really uh, have some strong feelings about that. And it's not being represented in, in some spaces.
0: Look, I think it's doesn't matter if you're Democrat Republican independent it, you are you are not giving your child to the school okay? You are taking your child to school and you are paying tax for that ability or you're paying private school tuition, whatever it is and there are you know you are the customer it, to, to put it in like kind of brash terms you are the customer. so you should know what's going on with your child. And you should not be treated like you're the enemy. And many parents feel like they are being treated like the and enemy. And not just the
2: enemy. Uh, I would say that some people feel like we have to save you from your ch- – we have to save your children from you. If you have certain views on, on certain issues, we need to help your children because you're going to give them the wrong information. And that cannot happen within our, our society. Our government is not set up for anybody else to be the parent of somebody else's child uh, when they're not being abusive. Uh, and we don't need to expand that definition to fit in more people that we don't like or that we just disagree with.
0: Amen to that. Let's go to the phones now at 770-535-2911 and talk to Alan in Rabin Gap. Hey, Alan, how you doing?
3: I'm well, Martha. I hope you guys are just uh, enjoying the show. Thank you. And I have a, I, Yes, I have a question. And I, I, I'm trying to square it in my own mind, so I thought I would call you and ask you and your guests. I'm trying to figure out how the Democratic Party, I think, like you alluded to a minute ago, they vast, they vote, you know, just vastly in favor of the Democrats. I mean, like, I've heard numbers as high as 90 percent. So you're talking about black voters. You're talking about
0: black voters.
3: Okay. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Um, And and I, you know, so they're they are also the Democrat Party is the one sort of leading, you know, the 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 hollering, I guess, for reparations. You know, wanting to hold America accountable for what they believe is, you know, it's you know, just terrible foundation and just a terrible country. Maybe is my would be my thinking. Uh, what they believe, and and I'm wondering how is it that they are willing to hold America accountable for something that happened, you know, generations and generations ago? There's not a single slave alive today, but they're unwilling to hold the Democrat Party for their beliefs and their the laws that they instituted. You know, as, as early as just fifty, sixty years ago. You know, like in the 1960s, it was the blacks you know, that they were being held down by the Democrats, you know. And so why, why, are we, why are they so interested as a party of holding America accountable for its foundation but unwilling to to hold the Democrat Party of, uh, accountable for what they did a few decades ago, and, and yet they vote in, in massively in favor of the party?
0: So, Alan, thanks for your question there. And, Justin, you are going to be the speaker for black voters. <laughs> anyway, so what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I always say we're not a monolith. Uh, and I, I believe in holding everybody accountable, but I think what we got from the the caller is a little bit of apples and oranges. One of the issues that a lot of African Americans have with the Republican Party and conservatism in general is that there hasn't always been an acknowledgement of the history. And if you look at certain disparities, I don't think that I think that history still has lingering effects. And so the idea that we can talk about people being enslaved for hundreds of years and and then going through Jim Crow, which Jim Crow just ended, what 10 years before I was born, right? It it wasn't that long ago. And then say that's the same as holding somebody accountable for a thing a a party might do. I think we're missing the point there.
0: I think what he was saying, though, um, and I don't want to speak for for Alan, but he's gone. So I think what he was saying, though, is many of those Jim Crow laws were passed by Democrats.
2: Yeah, but those were those were Dixocrats. Right. And many of them became Republicans. So it was more ideological.
0: But they're all dead now. okay? And. And the Republicans, okay, I don't want to go all the way back to Lincoln, but Lincoln was a Republican. But let's look at Ronald Reagan. He signed into law, Martin Luther King's birthday. That was, that was under Republican president. Um, it, you know, affirmative action was a Republican president, Richard Nixon. Um, he was actually the guy that did the Dixie Crap theory. You know, the Southern strategy was Richard Nixon getting all these conservative Democrats to vote Republican. Um, So I think Republicans get kind of a bad shake, you know, for the fact I think they're very um, I think they get a bad shake for it because it was when LBJ signed the civil rights legislation, he thanked Republicans because it was the 22 Democrat senators that didn't vote. So I hear what you're saying. I do. Um, I'm just saying I think that there's some misconceptions on both sides and uh, what a lot of people think is that the Depression kind of busted everybody, you know, in the 30s. Everybody got busted. And that after that, people kind of built back from there. We did have Jim Crow until probably, I don't know, my school integrated in 72, which was, you know, it didn't integrate until 72. Um, uh, I know that's surprising to you. I see your eyes. No, I'm getting, yeah. Um, my mother actually was head of the PTA in 1956 in Columbus, Georgia when Brown versus Board of Education. Um, and her idea was we should start by integrating first grade, then first and second grade, then first, second, and third, then first, second, third, and fourth. And then it would take be about a 12-year process, but that it would be easier to do it that way. We basically got ran out of town on a rail for that one because that was like race mixing and back in those days and that kind of thing. But my parents were always very open-minded about those kinds of issues. Um, but I think it's difficult. Uh, but I hear what you're saying, that you feel a little reticent about Republicans, and then Democrats expect you to vote for I don't mean you personally, but you to vote for them, even though they haven't dealt with all their issues either.
2: Yeah, I mean, on on the Republican end, whether we look at some of even the laws in Georgia when it comes to voter rights and not, you know, saying there's all these issues and and bringing them to the table. When you have people who have in this country have by law been disenfranchised longer than they've had franchise and to overlooked that as as somehow we've had a racial reset in America, I just think misses the point and it misses the lingering impacts that that's had on, on, on on my, on my community. I do think that Democrats in general have been willing to reckon with that more than Republicans have. I'm not, I, I, people are really asking for the recognition of those issues. And if we think something can happen for hundreds of years, and then it's going to reset in 40 years or something like that, that's just not how things work. And, Republicans would do a better job to acknowledge that. I think a lot of people in the African-American community have issues with somebody like Tim Scott because he he doesn't acknowledge that himself. And 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 so that's why I think he may have some problems crossing the line. Uh, And
0: I think they hold it against him. He's a Republican. okay. I think if he were a Democrat with those same ideas, he would be more accepted. But what I think that he does is he presents the story in the the injustice but he does it in a really positive way I mean he talks about his grandfather having to walk get off the sidewalk and when a white man came towards him he talks about you know picking cotton and having to make ends meet and a single mom he talks about all those things but I do think don't you think in many ways it's just a personality difference you've met those people doesn't matter if they're black or white there are people that look at the world half full no matter what No matter what happens to them, no matter where they go, (laughs) no matter what they do. And I'm one of those people because sometimes my husband has to pull me back from the cliff because I'm saying, oh, everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. He's a little half empty, you know, and so he's always looking at what's the bad thing that can happen. So some of its personality,
2: it could possibly be personality, too. I think there's policy differences and I think there's what do you do when. No, it comes to policy. What do you do when the president and and a lot of people would say, you know, he talked about backbone in the in the speech we were playing. I don't think people think he had backbone sometimes when it came to what some of the things Trump was doing and that he could have stepped up and said something. So we have those differences. I don't I don't think he's a, a bad guy. I think because of his position, there's only so much he can say, and I think there's only so, so much Republicans allow you to say on race.
0: Why do you think? And you've met President Obama, right? Yep. Okay. So why do you think? That with I mean, and let's tell the truth, I like Tim Scott a lot, but he's like four and a half, five percent in the polls, okay? So um President Obama called out Tim Scott last week, probably helped him raise a lot of money. <laughs> why do you think he did that? I don't want you to be like the the spokesman for Barack Obama, but why do you think he did that?
2: I think he's trying to correct the record. Um again, one of the problems that a lot of people see is just wanting to move, but we're past that. It's all, it's all gone. I think what he was saying is it's great that you acknowledge it in history. I want you to acknowledge it now and have that conversation. Now has there been progress? Absolutely. And I push back every day against people who act like there's been no progress. My grandparents who were in the civil rights movement did too much for me to sit here and say that there's a lack of gratitude to those folks who did that. But, but to not acknowledge it at all now, I think is very convenient when you're surrounded kind of by conservatives who don't want you probably to talk about it at all and there are there are all those people who don't want to have that conversation
0: it'll be really interesting um and as he pointed out last night tim scott that when he ran for the seat that he got in congress before he was a senator he was running against the grandson of strom Thurmond, you know who was a Dixiecrat, a legit dixie crat and um and so he won in a district that strom Thurmond had won before And, um, you know, it's I think it's interesting. There's a book out there um, by Michael Barone that he wrote in the 90s called The New Americans. And it's a book about immigration. But he also addresses the elephant in the room, which is how do we look at the progress of black people? Okay, because they had a very different experience than the average immigrant. Now, it is fair to say that all kinds of immigrants came here as indentured servants, but they could work their way out. There were other groups of people besides black Americans that had debts to pay off, but it's different. It's kind of like what's happening across the border right now, where you got these people coming across that they might as well owe a million dollars because $10,000 to them is might as well be a million dollars. They can't pay it back. But slavery is a very different thing. I'm not trying to discount slavery, but he gives a very good argument. It's called the new Americans by Michael Barone about But progress, measuring the progress that African-Americans have made since the law became fair, Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, and what kind of progress has been made since then. Atlanta is one of those amazing places, right? Atlanta has always had wealthy black people, okay? And because the reason why we didn't have the kind of destruction during the Civil Rights Movement was, one, we had Martin Luther King Jr., but, two, we had... Wealthy black people and wealthy white people that ran companies and came together and said, we're not going to have this in our town and we're going to make things better here. And Atlanta, you know, it's called the city too busy to hate. I think it was. It was a fabulous place to grow up in. Um, And, you know, it's 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 great. But I understand that there's a different perspective before Voting Rights and Civil Rights Act and after and you can't just wipe away the whole history. I get that. I get that. And I don't want to do that. But I do think you're, I'm glad you pointed out there are some people, black and white, that discount the progress that's been made. So it's not, I, I like to say white people think it's better than it is. Black people think it's worse than it is. And somewhere in the middle is the truth.
2: It's something we have to look at again. I appreciate you because we can sit here and have an honest, honest, and respectful conversation about that, uh, and and that's really what what it has to come down to. Do we care enough to have the conversation? Hear hear other people out. And get away from kind of the extremes and some of the narratives that are forced on us. I think that's fair.
0: We're here with Justin Gibney from the ANN campaign. Uh, and, you know, I really I met Justin over the last few months uh, and I have really appreciated the discussion because we don't agree about everything. But I appreciate the discussion. And I think it's important that we have this kind of discussion because we can't go to our corners And just never talk to people. Mm. That's not the way to do things. And tell me what you think about this. Okay, so I have this theory about the primary system. I think the idea behind the primary system was to get rid of the smoke-filled rooms. Mm. Okay, but what's actually happened is that you've got, like, kind of the fringes of both parties that are determining who these candidates are. And in the Democratic process, and you're probably more familiar with this than I am because you were a delegate, but those superdelegates kind of sometimes can thwart what the people actually want in the primaries. And then kind of is like the 21st century smoke filled room. Am I crazy?
2: Yeah, I know you're not crazy. <laughs> uh How that works is not always uh, completely clear and that transparent. May, exactly. And that, <laughs> and that may be by design, Uh but you're right. A lot of our primary process is controlled by that 30% or whatever that actually is really active and is going to go out and vote in primaries. And I think that's problematic. It didn't happen as much on the Democratic side because Biden wasn't the extreme candidate, right? You know, he goes to South Carolina where you're going to have more African-Americans voting who are going to be kind of more moderate. And that's kind of what pushes him forward. But in a lot of other places, the the control is in the hands of folks who are going to be a little more extreme.
0: So supposedly, and I'm asking you, I'm asking your political hat now, he's not going to be on the ballot, President Biden, in Iowa or and Iowa a little different because it's a caucus, but he's not campaigning in Iowa or New Hampshire. If Robert F. Kennedy wins one or both of those, does that matter?
2: It matters. He still have, has a long road, right, because he's not going to win. You know, it's going to be hard to win Super Tuesday. So he so what happened, just to back up a little bit, what happened is they, they moved South Carolina's, Carolina's primary and said this is going to be the first one, which makes New Hampshire and Iowa mad. Uh, so Biden is not gonna probably not going to win those states. There's still such a long road, road to go, and because you have so many voters, primarily in the African-American community when you get to Super Tuesday, when you get to uh, South Carolina, I don't know if it's going to be enough, but there's still so much time, it's hard to tell.
0: Well, in, in open primary states like ours, uh, Robert Ken- Kennedy is an interesting guy because he's ki- he's kind of a populist, and my friend Eric Erickson thinks that uh, he's going to draw from Trump as much as he does from Biden because of his populist viewpoints on things. So I think that's kind of interesting. I I have, you know, I'm a radio person. I have a hard time listening to him, and I know that's a disability that he has. But it's a fact that, that people are going to feel uncomfortable listening to him because of the problem he has talking and you don't like to say that out loud, but it's true.
2: Yeah. And when, in fact, when I first started listening to because I've seen him on podcasts, and I think he's doing a very good job of going to podcasts and going to talk, you know, talk radio, things like that. And kind of skipping over uh, other forms, you know, those more traditional forms of media. But when you listen to him, I think what people are attracted to is he sound he seems very honest and His impediment persuasive, persuasive, but his impediment almost makes it seem even more earnest. Like you, you, you just want to trust him and believe that he's, he's open to being corrected. And that's what he really, he conveys that really well that look, I've looked up and seen what I've seen. I'm open to be corrected, but here's what has to change. And I think that populist side of him could draw some Republicans to him. Will it be enough? At this moment, no, but it's still so early, you never know what can happen. So,
0: Justin Gibney, give folks um, how they can get more information from you if they'd like to.
2: Yeah, you can reach us at ancampaign.org to learn more about the organization and our chapters. You can also uh, listen to the Church Politics Podcast with me and uh, Pastor Chris Butler. And then on um, Instagram, we are at a and Campaign. Putting the talk
1: in News Talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: Right now, we're talking to Gabriel Sterling, who is the Deputy Secretary of State for uh, Georgia, and he works with Brad Raffensperger. He was the face you saw many times through the election of 2020. And now you're hiding all the time, Gabriel. What are you doing? You don't, not out there. No, I'm just kidding. You're always available.
1: <laughs> Thanks how uh,
4: real are you quick, just the correct i'm good correct one thing i'm the chief operating officer somebody else is deputy and i want to make sure they don't Oh, okay me, you got it job.
0: chief operating <laughs> officer the coo which is great correct. thank you so much all these titles what can i say um listen i wanted to talk a little bit about first of first of all um the couple of systems that we're implementing right now we're uh i think it's called jarvis right is that what it's called
4: that is the new voter registration system that we kicked off phase one in the 2022 election. That was all the outward facing stuff, the online voter registration, absentee ballot request, the My Voter page, where you can check your precincts. And phase two, we rolled out to start off in February of this year, and that's where the counties do their work for voter registration. We're still going through the rollout, the iterative process, what we call UAT testing on different parts of it. It'll be in really good shape by the time we get to the November elections for the municipals and then going into the state elections and the presidential preference primary on March 12th of
0: 2024. So how's that rollout going?
4: Pretty good. I mean, like with any new software, there are going to be hiccups. And we're working really closely with the counties who have been working with us since the beginning. We had a working group of about 20 counties we start with, and then we had a separate group of counties to do testing because what you want to do is have, you don't want to have the people who designed it test it because they know how it's supposed to work. You want to give it to other people who didn't design it so you can make sure it works for them and anybody else that comes along. So it's going pretty well, but there's challenges. We had some problems with the redistricting module, which we just rolled out some fixes to last month. We had a big release on Thursday of last week. So this is a continuous thing that we do.
0: And we are also participating in a system called Eric, correct? Where we are. Yes, Explain to people what that is because I get emails. All across the spectrum about this, based on what they've read about it. Explain to people what it is and what it does.
4: Okay, so Eric is run by the states, by the member states. And we got up to one point, we had 33 states in there. What we do is we exchange our data with each other to say, hey, it looks like this person, you know, Robert K. Smith with this birth date was registered in Spaulding County and now looks like he moved to Nebraska. Or, what, or South Carolina, and what we, what we do is we share that data, and then in Georgia we take that data, and we mail, because there's a law we have to follow called the National Voter Registration Act, the NVRA. And in that, we can't, just because we know somebody's moved and we're 90% sure that that's the right person, we can't legally remove them. We have to have them send us back a letter with their signature saying, take me off the rolls, and we've done that now for a couple of years. And and through that process, we've been able to remove 120,000 people from our roles legally. But then one of the really great things we can do, this is literally the only tool in the country that we can use to see if somebody's voting in two states and compare that and then try to find a way to refer it to the State Election Board for Potential Prosecution. This is the only tool that exists to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was really kind of blindsided by people thinking this was some kind of plot because... Because it seemed to me, because I was on a briefing about Eric um, before we joined it, and it wasn't with the state of Georgia; it was with a group that I was involved in regarding election integrity. And um, it, when they when they explained it to us, I was like, "Man, I don't know why Georgia doesn't do this. This is a big problem that we have." And I would assume, and this is just me making an assumption, that be, that states like Georgia, where you have Lots of people moving in and out all the time because we're a vibrant state and you've got people moving in, people moving out. We're not stagnant in any way that it makes it really hard to keep up the voter rolls. And so you don't want people that can vote in multiple states. I mean, it seems like a way to avoid that. And it just made sense to me when I first was briefed on it.
4: That is absolutely correct. And the pro- one of the problems we have is, and I know we say this all the time on your show and amongst our friends, These federal laws get in the way of us doing smart, normal things for our states. Like, we should be able to electronically, we have enough data now, we have enough information to where we, if we know, we can identify if somebody's moved, we should be allowed to to take them off the rolls. We shouldn't have to go through this process of getting a wet signature, doing all that. Yes, there needs to be a legal process to do it rationally, but this is the only tool we have right now to get people off without having to go through, it's essentially an eight-year process once they move. A lot of people talk about national change of address um we get we get that data now through eric we used to get it individually. it's a little cheaper to do it this way another thing that we get is we used to get just the vital records from our counties when people died now we have access to the social security death records and trust me those are the best because the last thing the feds want to do is send money to somebody who's not there so we 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 have better death records we have better interstate records we have at, at this point now because we have automatic voter registration and we've joined eric we literally have one of the cleanest voter rolls in the United States. And it's been pretty much no- noted that way by experts.
0: Okay, so there's been this long-running lawsuit, Curling versus Raffensperger, uh, which was actually started prior to the 2020 election, if I'm correct about that, in the reading that I've done. Uh, but there were these two reports that came out of that case. And one was, um, one was uh, called the Halderman Report, that was negative about Dominion machines, and then there was another report that came out. Um, I'm getting a lot of emails about that. A lot of emails like, "See, see, we told you right from the beginning that there were these problems. This is these are expert reports that have come out of a lawsuit. And again, I'm just reading open source information about this. Gabriel, what? Give us the background on this, and can you know what what if anything is legitimate about these reports?
4: All right, so let's get the, the full background. This, this started off as Curling versus Kemp. This was the lawsuit brought in 2017, and that started. Now they kept on going. They changed their claims to go after BMDS because what they want to do, and this, and what we have to understand, the single largest funder of this of this um, uh, lawsuit was Stacy Abrams.
0: And BMDs and are what for funds. people that don't know?
4: Oh, sorry. sorry, the ballot marking devices that we use in the 2020 and the 2022 elections. Got it. Where you can use a touchscreen and it prints the ballot on paper for you. Um, so the reality of it is J. Alex Halderman is somebody who is essentially denying the, the validity of elections with any electronics attached to them. And he is a paid expert witness in an adversarial lawsuit. And this is what he does. He is an advocate for hand paper ballots, just like Stacey Abrams and Hillary Clinton and all of them are. And the situation that we have now is Halderman was given three months of access, um, uh, the the manuals and the passwords to, to examine these things. So if you gave me three months, the user manuals and the passwords to the CIA's computer, I could find vulnerabilities because that's not really a vulnerability. Everything he points out, there are six different potential attacks that are vulnerabilities, and not every vulnerability is, a, um, a, is necessarily a risk. So the MITRE report looked at all of that, and that's, the MITRE report is an independent federal lab that's been around since the 1950s helping governments work in the, in the technology environment. And they examined all of them. They said, yes, these are potential theoretical vulnerabilities, but none of them are scalable. None of them could affect the outcome of an election. And that's, so you have two sets of experts, one's a paid witness and one, they weren't told to rebut, they were told to examine the claims. And the reality is our current systems, our current protections and security around these, and mainly starts with physical security, is enough to protect the system as it's actually deployed in the real world. And we've been using those same precautions for 2020 and 2022, we're doing some enhancements now. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security we're partnered with. They're going to go out and examine everywhere where this stuff is held. And you got to understand, none of this stuff's connected to the Internet. When people think of hacking, we've been watching these movies for 40 years where, like, where there's a young guy in the basement who can go start a nuclear war. That's not what these are. You have to physically have access to do the kind of attack they're talking about doing. It would take hundreds of people in thousands of locations and nobody noticing what they're doing. We have precautions on the front end. Every single piece of equipment is logic and accuracy tested before every election. Not every election cycle, before every single election. Every piece of equipment is tested. We have two things we do at the the post-election side where we do a significant number of machines. We check their hash values. Now, hash values, we change a single letter in a code, which is what runs the computer. It changes the hash value. So we check those. We also have audits in an SB 129 passed by the Republican state house and state Senate and signed by governor Kemp. We've upped the number of audits. The reality of this is there's a new version of the software 517, which many people are calling on us to to put in. It just got EAC certified. And the law says we have to have an EAC certified system in March. We were excited to look at it. And we sat down with our people, the, the elections, people, lawyers, engineers, county people, And we said, this is our timeline, this is the number of hours, because to change this software, it's not like a patch. People think only a patch. It's literally, you have to change the operating system on the screen, you have to load a new system on there. It's about 20 minutes for each machine, and we've got like 40,000 machines around the state in 159 different locations. We have elections starting in the state for the municipals in November, but qualifying begins in August. So that's when the system starts to get used. So we now have between – it's the end of June and August. That's not enough time to go do all this. And then we have runoffs for a lot of those that will be in December of 23. As you know, we have lots of runoffs in municipal elections. And then March 12th is when we have the presidential preference primary. It's a federal election. So we'll be building ballots in December to send out to overseas voters in January. And then we have the May elections, and then we have the May runoffs that come up in now June. There's no window of time where there's enough time, and then we have another law in this state that says we have to use the same system. So we can't go partway and stop. We have to have everybody running on that. That's why we're taking the rational, reasonable, responsible approach of doing pilots of the new system in November and municipals and then having a good strategy to safely put this all out starting in December or January of 25, because this system has never been used anywhere in America. I'm not about to take the state of Georgia and put it in a brand-new car and drive it it around not knowing how it works. Because every new software, like I was talking about earlier with Jarvis, there's always things they don't see until it gets into the real world. Our current system is battle-tested. It worked in 2020. It worked in 2022. I mean, we had a lot of satisfaction in the 2022 election with these same situations. And we knew about this, and we were already following the Center for Infrastructure and so, sorry, the cyber and infrastructure security agencies' recommendations. We can't follow all of them because they're not. Some of them are not workable in the real world. They had one recommendation that we do a different password for every poll worker card. There is 2,600 locations for polls in the state. We have about four poll workers cards per location. That'd be 11,000 passwords. It'd be chaos. We couldn't actually run the system. The sec- secretary Rappensberger operates in the real world. He's an engineer. We're going to be safe, sober. We're going to security is our highest thing security and accessibility are important and we always focus on that
0: so you mentioned stacey abrams and the people that support her but there's also a faction on the republican party side that want paper ballots what you know what are your thoughts on that obviously i know y'all consider everything but what are your thoughts about paper ballots
4: well we have paper ballots it's the question of hand marked paper versus a ballot marking device paper there's a reason the Democrats want hand-marked paper, and I know some of the Republicans do it for security, but it's, it took, from our point of view, it is less secure. It is easier to hack a hand-marked paper ballot than it is a BMD ballot. It just simply is, because all you have to do, if you're a bad actor, if I see a, a vote for somebody I don't like, I'll put a stray mark in a bubble next to it, and then it becomes an overvote, which goes away. Every system in the world has vulnerabilities because we are human beings. Our system now is much more secure than hand-marked paper. And one of the reasons that the Democrats love this is it provides more questions. It provides more opportunities for lawsuits and questions. That's why they fight for these things. And our side has been fighting that for seven years. Seven years. That's what this lawsuit was about. And we need to understand... We are safer and more secure and in a better situation with a BMD than going to handmark paper. It's just simply the reality of it. I know some people don't want to hear that, but we are taking the responsible approach. And also, in Georgia, it is the law passed so, by a Republican House and Senate and signed by the governor.
0: So next year, the Democrats are not going to have their convention until the end of August, which, you know, means that they could change their candidate at the end of august we don't know that when are you printing ballots or when are you preparing ballots for the 2024 general election
4: um you start building those ballots after the runoff and the runoff will be in june so we'll start really in july um to to start building those out because then we have to send them out and forgive me i don't know the date off the top of my head seven weeks before the november election so We'll see early November, October. We'll start sending out the first ballots by electronic ballot delivery to our military voters in September. So we really have kind of like a September, uh, August, September is the time we can build them in. And I love this. Building ballots is extremely difficult.
0: <laughs> yeah, There's I know. a lot of, a lot you of factors. Eight, you, you got yeah. different districts, different that I know. It's really hard. Gabriel Sterling, thank you so much for your time today. We definitely want to get you to come in one day, and I think we could do a whole show on this, and it would be great.
1: Oh, we'd love to do it. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9, WDUN.
0: Shondell Summer is here with me today, and we're talking to Matt Brown. And Matt, welcome back to the program. How are you?
5: Welcome, welcome. Thank you for being. Uh, thank you for letting me Having be here. You. I am doing well today. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, so I'm it, doing well this morning. As you can see, it's been a, it's been a long morning already. <laughs>
0: it has been a long morning already. But I we haven't talked about the Adam Schiff censure, and I wanted to talk to you about it. I'm going to tell you first of all, kind of what I think about it. Okay. At the Durham, it was like this day in Washington where you had the Adam Schiff censure, you had the transgender hearing, and then you had the Durham hearing all on the same day. So it was like, I don't know how you did it, but I'm sure you were like all over the place. And uh, so what was so great about the Durham report, and a lot of people get mad about the fact that no prosecutions are coming out of the Durham report. But if you are doing an investigation and you're telling the people you're talking to there no prosecutions are going to come out of this they're a lot more likely to tell you the truth if they know that there's no chance they're going to get prosecuted okay if that's my theory anyway so he is the one that sort of came up with the idea that the whole Russia hoax thing was just that a hoax it wasn't some you know Schiff was looking ridiculous and when Schiff was interview interviewing Durham it was hysterical because you know Schiff famously was shopping the market for naked photos of Donald Trump and was caught doing that and and he he asked this question of Durham of how can you how can you um, have someone peddling information about a presidential candidate and Durham just very quietly says well you should know something about that and then there was this laughter in the back of the committee room but Schiff didn't miss a beat I got to give him credit he just went on with his line of questioning but it was a little slam at him and the fact that he had actually been going around trying to find dirty information on. Political candidates as well as presidents. So they had the vote on the censure, and of course, it was like something out of Game of Thrones at the end where they're all yelling, Shame, shame, shame. (laughs) You know,
1: I I thought it was going to
0: be, I thought it was going to, I thought I was going to see, you know, the woman walk down the street with her head shaved or something. It was crazy. But I think he deserved it. He clearly, I'm not saying there weren't problems with the Trump administration, but he went down a rabbit hole. And it's now been proven that it was a rabbit hole. What are your thoughts?
5: Well, yeah, I think that this was definitely a, I mean, what a spectacle yesterday, as you said, like just the, the shouts coming from Democrats and the rallying and the high fives and then Warren Boebert saying that, uh, um, liars should be on, um, Adam Schiff's grave. Like, you know, it was, it was quite, there was a lot of fireworks going on. But I do think that it's important to note that this is definitely another example of us still reckoning over what the heck happened during the Trump administration and, you know, Schiff and a lot of people in Congress did do this maximalist claim that Trump colluded with Russia and that Trump had, you know, deep you know ties to Russia, that Putin was actively directing him. And like we we know that that's not the case, even though um, my paper and many others have um, strongly reported a lot of um, things going on between, for instance, Paul Manafort and, um, you know, Red right, Russian right. Um, associates that that was not exactly um, up to snuff, should we say, um, and things that um it p- did possibly, if not he from an went ethical to jail perspective, from a and legal lost everything.
0: So I mean, Manafort went to jail and yeah. lost
5: everything. <laughs> so, so that I think is definitely, you know, people have talked about basically kind of overstating the case in terms of what are connections between individuals. And that's why you need to be, whether you're a journalist or a lawmaker, you need to be just incredibly precise about the things that you're actually saying um, because it can get egg on your face. Now, the censure doesn't actually come with any, um, you know, legal. Legally binding thing. It doesn't limit shift powers. Um, but it is a bit unprecedented in that, you know we there's only been three of these in the entire twenty first century. And um I think that it is notable that we're taking this on a much more political decision this time than it is on you know, a, a question of decorum. I mean and the last time this happened was with um, Rep Paul Gosar over his, I believe, video of you know an, an anime spoof of him attacking Democrats, basically. Um, and I think that, that we're just seeing the censure get used a lot more in, in some um, much more ways to show how far apart yeah, the still parties the are The fact of the
0: matter is, I love the fact that Adam Schiff is now in a group of only 26 in our history that has been censured because he took a lot of pride in putting Trump in this impeached president category. And, and maybe mm. it's tit for tat, but it again, it he he was he won't admit he still won't admit that he went down the rabbit hole if you look at his line of questioning against durham he was trying to totally take durham apart when the fact of the matter is the durham report has really held up um as far as people looking at it and i do think and Mm -hmm. you tell me if you agree with me it's because he told people he wasn't going to do any prosecutions out of it and if you know you're not going to be prosecuted you're more likely to tell the truth
5: yeah, well, I, I just again from you know my industry, the reason why all these tell-all books about different presidential administrations come out after the administration is over is because people are then more willing to talk to um and like spill all the the beans about what was actually going on in those backroom deals do and everything. Know, so I know? think that there's something going on similar here.
0: Do you know who the first person to write a book while their boss was still in office was? No, tell me. George Stephanopoulos.
5: Um, he wrote
0: a book about Clinton and all of his problems. I think it was called "Being Human" or something. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. But it was just um, a crazy book at the time it came out because you know he he was still you know he was still with President Clinton at the time he wrote it. Now it helped him a lot because he's like one of the biggest journalists in you know the history of the world. I actually. Um, worked with him when he was like a little intern uh, on the Dukakis campaign. I was a little intern, too. So it was a, lot, it was a long time ago. It was a lot of
5: fun. Love that. Love how it all comes full circle.
0: It all comes full circle. You know, so, Shondell, I heard you laughing when I made the Game of Thrones analogy. <laughs> I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. And that's the best scene in the whole series is when she walks the gauntlet
4: and, <laughs> and has to do so naked. And they throw feces and all sorts of nasty Cersei things. And they like, shaved
0: her head. And right, all that right. Stuff. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So, look, I know it's a little bit crazy. Um, I I still believe we're about to turn the corner, though, Matt, because you know we we saw the numbers, the Trump numbers are evening out a little bit. Um, he's lost about six points. Other candidates are coming up. We're going to have some debates coming up. President Biden is is in a Democratic primary where they've pushed out the Democratic convention as late as they can, which is I think around the last week of August in 2024, uh, and you know because. They don't, I don't think they have confidence that Joe Biden's going to make it all the way. So that way they can pop somebody else in at the last minute if he's not able to do it. Because typically, first, you know, if you're the incumbent president, you like your convention early because then you have a long general election cycle where you can just do nothing but raise money. Uh, we'll see what happens. There's some criticism of him and how much money he's been able to raise so far. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun over the next few months.
2: No, it's
5: going. It's going to be a wild ride, and I'm I'm excited to do it with you all.
0: That's right, Matt Brown. Thanks for being with us today. Appreciate it very much.
5: Of course, thank you so much.
0: To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.